Hello, knowledge seekers. In this episode of 20 Minute Books, we delve into the influential world of language and expression as we unpack Words Like Loaded Pistols by Sam Leith. This book serves as a guide, illuminating our understanding of rhetoric and demonstrating how to wield it effectively. Through a myriad of historical, contemporary, and everyday life examples, Leith exposes the omnipresence of rhetoric, underscoring its importance in our daily interactions and communications. Sam Leith, our author for the day, is not just a name in the literary world, but a highly respected figure. As the literary editor of The Spectator, his prowess extends to contributions for major publications like The Wall Street Journal, Evening Standard, and The Guardian. So, who should be tuning into this episode? Words like loaded pistols is a must for those desiring to unravel the science behind political jargon. It's a key resource for students and professionals aiming to enhance their public speaking and writing skills. Tune in as we explore the power of rhetoric and its impact on our lives. Words like loaded pistols, rhetoric from Aristotle to Obama. Introduction. Welcome to the realm of rhetoric, where words wield power and influence minds. True, we've all heard tales of notorious figures such as Hitler and Lenin, who rose to power not necessarily through logic and reason, but via impassioned and persuasive speeches. Yes, rhetoric, in the wrong hands, can indeed be a tool of manipulation. But it's not all doom and gloom. Rhetoric is the lifeblood of our daily exchanges and a driving force in shaping human history. As we delve into the intricate workings of rhetoric, we'll follow the trail blazed by Aristotle, one of history's finest intellects. Ready to decode the world with a rhetorician's key? Let's plunge in. In this journey through the art of rhetoric, you'll uncover the surprising commonality between Barack Obama and Sarah Palin, the profound link between a toy shop and political rhetoric, how deeply rhetoric is intertwined with democracy. Part 1. Believe it or not, we're all masters of rhetoric. When we hear the term rhetoric, our minds may instantly jump to the scholarly pursuits of an overbearing college acquaintance or the vague ramblings of politicians. However, in reality, We all use rhetoric each and every day, perhaps without even realizing it. Rhetoric, at its core, is the craft of swaying people through words, be they written or spoken. As much as we may choose to belittle it as archaic, pompous, or even dishonest, rhetoric is the invisible force shaping this very sentence, the reason you address your best friend in one way and your job interviewer in another. Think about it. How often do you employ language without the objective of influencing someone? It's almost an impossible task to dodge, simply because words are our primary tool for communication, the two-way transfer of information. And every bit of information, whether emotional, scientific, or factual, inevitably impacts your feelings, perceptions, or actions. Interestingly, in our modern world, the term Political rhetoric frequently carries a negative connotation, even though rhetorical strategies are an inescapable part of politics. 
For example, critics of Obama have scoffed at his speeches for being verbose and lacking in substance. In contrast, Republican Phyllis Schlafly commended Sarah Palin as a woman who worked with her hands. However, every time Palin steps onto the stage to deliver a speech, her aim is to persuade her listeners. Despite what many may believe, she too is using rhetoric. Indeed, even those who openly criticize rhetoric often utilize it. For pointing a finger at someone for being a slick talker requires a bit of slick talking, doesn't it? And that, doesn't it, is itself a frequently used rhetorical tactic known as a rhetorical question. Part 2. Rhetoric. The pulsating heart of history and human civilization. Language was the trigger that propelled humanity's evolution. Given that rhetoric and language are inseparable, like two sides of the same coin, it's only logical to say that wherever humanity has left its footprints, echoes of rhetoric can be heard. Indeed, rhetoric has played a pivotal role in the progress of Western civilization, wielding both its constructive and destructive power. This is because the very foundations of democratic societies rest on the bedrock of speech and debate. Laws that govern our lives are nothing but words, granted power and authority. Words have also served as potent weapons of peaceful resistance. Jesus was crucified for peacefully conversing with others, leading to accusations of disseminating dangerous ideas even in the absence of any physical threat to the emperor. The pacifistic activism of Martin Luther King Jr. is another compelling example of how words can move mountains. However, on the flip side, totalitarian regimes employ language as a tool of propaganda to exert control over the masses. Hitler didn't storm into power by brute force. Instead, he won over a disgruntled nation with artful persuasion, talking his way to the apex of Germany's leadership. Rhetoric can thus be a tool for diverse ends. It also offers us a profound insight into what people desire and how they plan to fulfill those desires. That's because we employ rhetoric to channel our wants. Let's say a politician advocating for stronger military powers may arouse emotions about the need to protect our loved ones from the nebulous bad guys. So the better your comprehension of rhetoric, the more adept you'll become at discerning people's underlying motives and how they might be attempting to manipulate you for their benefit. Being privy to these intentions can empower you to outsmart those in positions of authority. The importance of rhetoric has been acknowledged throughout history. For instance, during Shakespeare's era, mastering rhetoric was considered an integral part of a well-rounded liberal arts education. But it was Aristotle who, generations earlier, dissected and thoroughly scrutinized the concept in his groundbreaking work, Rhetoric. Next, we'll delve into Aristotle's compelling theory of rhetoric. Part 3. Mastering rhetoric starts by pinpointing your argument and strategizing its validation. Aristotle deconstructed rhetoric into a systematic five-step structure, the first of which is invention, which is essentially brainstorming what you want to convey about a certain topic. It's during this stage that you crystallize the point you aim to validate and strategize about which arguments and assertions will best serve your purpose. Often, there are numerous routes to your pivotal proof, and the challenge lies in selecting the one that resonates with your audience. 
To accomplish this, you need to account for their life philosophies, biases, and demographic profile. For example, imagine you're attempting to persuade diverse audiences to embrace your innovative approach to conflict resolution. When addressing a group of managers, it would be prudent to highlight the efficiency and effectiveness of your method. However, when dealing with people from the Human Resources Department, it might be more appropriate to emphasize how your approach ensures justice and respect in the resolution process. Now that you've established what you're advocating and how you intend to prove it, it's time to deploy the three modes of persuasion to actualize your argument. The first mode is ethos, which is rooted in the authority and self-representation of the speaker. For instance, when John F. Kennedy proclaimed, Ich bin ein Berliner, translating to, I am a Berliner, he utilized ethos to connect with his German audience. The second mode, logos, appeals to reason and universally accepted truths. But remember, these truths are culture and location-specific, so crafting a persuasive argument hinges on using logic familiar to your audience. Although the idea of gender equality might seem like an obvious truth for many in the present day, such an argument would have been disregarded by many ancient civilizations. Lastly, pathos involves arousing emotions. A heart-wrenching image of a frail, melancholic puppy is likely to inspire more donations to an animal shelter than a barrage of statistics about animal cruelty. With these principles in mind, let's return to Aristotle's five-part structure. Part 4. The second step of Aristotle's approach to eloquent rhetoric involves methodically organizing your thoughts. The crux of effective rhetoric lies in its structural integrity. This is because you'll persuade your audience most convincingly by escorting them along a meticulously laid rhetorical path that magnifies the strongest facets of your argument and masks its weak spots. Think about it. Professors known for irrelevant and mundane tangents don't exactly receive rave reviews in course evaluations, do they? To make your argument compelling, you can employ a spin on the classic beginning, middle, and end narrative framework, segmenting your discourse into six parts. The introductory segment is where you establish your ethos, captivate your audience's attention, and earn their trust. Next comes narration where you provide a relatively impartial and generalized snapshot of the topic. Following this is division. In this part, you contrast the similarities and differences between your argument and those of your rivals. The fourth segment is where you offer the proof of your argument, banking on your application of logos and reason. The fifth stage is refutation, the ideal time to predict and debunk potential counter-arguments your adversary might present. Finally, you have the conclusion. Here, you can apply pathos to hammer your argument home with a memorable final note, leaving a lasting impact on your audience. But remember, these are general guidelines, not rigid rules. It's crucial to exercise your judgment to determine when certain elements should be included or excluded, depending on the occasion. For example, if you're delivering a best man's speech at your friend's wedding, you probably don't need to refute opposing viewpoints. However, that's not a free pass to manipulate the structure at your whim. Bear in mind a well-flowing argument, whether articulated through writing or spoken word, hinges on a sturdy structure. Part 5. The finishing touches to Aristotle's five-step model are style, memorization, 
and delivery. While what you articulate is crucial, it isn't the be-all and end-all. The style you employ to structure an argument also holds significant weight. As a matter of fact, your style largely dictates the persuasiveness of your argument. Once again, effective style hinges on a deep understanding of your audience because it's crucial to know what will resonate with them. Perhaps a grandiose, lyrical style reminiscent of Shakespeare might be effective, but more often than not, it's unlikely to be. Our contemporary society has undeniably rejected overt rhetoric. Individuals are becoming increasingly wary of those who resort to pompous and complicated language. You're more likely to win people over by adopting straightforward, uncomplicated language that exudes sincerity, integrity, and a lack of pretension. It's worth remembering, this simplified style remains a manifestation of rhetoric, and mastering it requires practice, not innate talent. Take, for example, accomplished speakers and writers like former President Obama. They're skilled at using both high and low styles, and can artfully blend them in their rhetoric. Alternating between brief, concise sentences and those that are lengthier and more intricate can inject an appealing richness into your speech without making it sound excessively rhetorical. Finally, your rhetorical toolkit isn't complete without memorization and delivery. Two actors interpreting the same character, delivering the same lines, can elicit completely different reactions from an audience. One might stumble, forgetting her lines and tripping over her words, while the other might deliver her lines effortlessly, as if they were spontaneous thoughts. That's the transformative power of memorization and delivery in rhetoric. Regrettably, these final steps can induce the most anxiety and fear in many people. For some, the pressure of memorization and delivery might result in stage fright and mental blanks. However, there's no bypassing this. All you can do is rehearse until your speech is etched in your memory. That's the most reliable way to deliver a persuasive and impactful speech. Part 6. The primary applications of rhetorical oration are in the political and judicial spheres. Picture this, a bustling toy store. The protagonist, a child, imploring his parents to purchase a ludicrously overpriced trinket. This scenario perfectly encapsulates political rhetoric in action. Let's dissect how it functions. Political rhetoric is future-oriented, striving to drive individuals towards a specific action. Typically, political rhetoric tries to achieve this by arguing that the proposed course of action will benefit the audience. Aligns with moral principles, or ideally, both. For instance, the child might convince his parents to buy him the $100 plastic lightsaber by promising exemplary behavior. Alternatively, he might ground his plea on principles of fairness, highlighting that all his friends already own one. Political candidates employ similar tactics to gain public favor and, ultimately, votes. Beyond the political sphere, there's another dominant form of rhetoric, judicial or forensic rhetoric, the language of the courtroom. This form of argumentation grapples with notions of justice. It delves into the past and endeavors to establish a particular narrative as the truth, using this version of events to validate someone's innocence or guilt. Often, both types of oratory are in play simultaneously. Consider Bill Clinton's renowned public addresses concerning his extramarital affair with Monica Lewinsky. He utilized judicial rhetoric to narrate a version of past events, 
asserting his innocence by claiming he never had sexual relations with Lewinsky. Concurrently, his discourse was political because he aimed to persuade the public against his impeachment. So, the next time you encounter a complex speech or article, strive to comprehend what the author is arguing. If you're able to pinpoint this, you'll be well on your way to becoming a savvy consumer and adept communicator of news and information. Final summary. The crux of this book, Rhetoric Permeates Our World, and it's essential to understand it if you aspire to communicate effectively. Drawing inspiration from Aristotle, it's imperative to master all facets of your written and oral discourse, including tone, structure, vocabulary, and delivery. Thank you for joining me today on this journey of learning and discovery as we explored the insights of another thought-provoking book in our growing library of knowledge. If you've enjoyed our time together, please take a moment to follow our podcast, give us a five-star rating, and share 20-minute books with other knowledge seekers. Your support truly means a lot. Don't forget to join me again in the next episode, where we will delve into another enriching book. Until then, happy reading and happy listening.